You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. Thank you, Betsy. We've been studying the book of Titus for the last few months, and as we come to the end and turn towards Easter, we come to a section that many of us would be tempted to skip. But that would be a mistake. For in what appears to be a random greeting at the end of the letter, we actually find valuable lessons for what it means to be a faithful presence within our most intimate relationships, within the church, and within the culture. And in some ways, this final section actually embodies and summarizes all that we have learned. So whether you've been in the church here for years and you've been with us through the series or you're here for the first time, you're exploring Christian faith, let us pray now. Let me lead us in prayer and invite the Spirit of God to speak to us. How is it that you want us to live? And in what way does this text speak to that very issue? Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, I thank you that everyone in this room and those joining us online matter to you. We thank you that you have sent your son Jesus to bring us into relationship with yourself and also in relationship with others. We pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would lead us and teach us what it means to live faithfully in this present moment. 
For those who need encouragement, we pray that you would encourage them. For those who need correction, would you correct them? And for those who do not yet know you, we pray that today they would put their faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. We ask all these things in his name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, I learned that in the next 24 hours, human beings will text 18.7 billion times. And that's not including your DMs. And yet, seven out of 10 adults admit to being overwhelmed by this fact, overwhelmed by the unprecedented access that we now have with others and others now have with us. We've never been so connected and yet so alone at the same time. And what many of us are realizing more and more is that actual, even physical presence matters. Where you can really know others and really be known by them. In fact, C.S. Lewis, who I'll quote, because I haven't quoted him in like three weeks, he actually made this point that it actually takes people to know a person. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all of his facets. We need people to get to know a person. Many of us know this to be true. I need a community to draw out different parts of my personality. I'm sure you've seen this with yourself, and I'm sure you've seen it in others. But this is more than just a general observation about human culture. The idea of presence is connected to God's purpose for your life, and it is connected to the mission of the church. It is our presence in the lives of others and their presence in our lives that is vital, and that is what the end of this New Testament letter reminds us of this simple yet powerful truth that presence matters. Now you say, where are we getting that and why are we even looking at the end? I understand that a short letter like this can be like the sandwiches I ate growing up, very full in the middle, a little dry on the edges, and so you might be tempted to cut them off, but it is simply not true. These little greetings are like sociological gold mines because they represent a web of real relationships and history between real people. And so there's more lessons than names, as one commentator pointed out. So Paul the Apostle has written about essentially two things that he's called Titus to do and the church to do. He's called us to live as a faithful presence to others in service because Christ's faithfulness to us in salvation. Those are his two main themes. And now he concludes this letter in what might appear to be a list of random requests, but they are in fact woven together by this theme. Reality Ventura, or follower of Jesus, you are called to be a radiant presence in this world. Together, the way that we live, we're called to be this faithful presence 
in the culture. Why? Well, from this text, and in summary of the whole book, three very simple reasons. Number one, why does your presence matter? Because people matter. That's the first point. As Paul wraps up this, this beautiful letter, his conclusion is all about people, and they're listed by name. Look at verses 12 through the beginning of verse 13. As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on your way. Now you read that and you think, what on earth? Like, how are we gonna get a sermon from that? Well, I asked the same question. <laughs> but here we go. Let's think about this for a moment. First, what do we learn? We learn how much the recipient of this letter meant to Paul when he says, Titus, make every effort to come to me. Paul, of course, has been writing to young Titus, the man who was leading these churches in the first century on the island of Crete. And Paul has been writing about the importance of right belief and right behavior. He has spilled some serious ink over these big doctrinal issues with their practical implications. But here at the end, we are reminded that Paul, though an apostle of the church, a spiritual giant, author of a third of the New Testament, needed what all of us needed in our lives, and that is real relationship. Paul needed a friend. He needed encouragement. He needed support, which is, of course, what should happen in healthy relationships. Now, here's why that is particularly important when we think of the Christian life in general and someone like Paul in particular. Some of us would assume that the only reason Paul, as a senior leader in the church, would want to hang out with Titus is so that Paul might instruct him as if he were his tutor. And no doubt that would happen. But Paul understands relationships as a source of encouragement even for himself, even for a spiritual giant such as him. He reveals this in another place in his letter to the Roman church where he's gonna go on for 16 chapters about these profound theological truths, but he begins by acknowledging his own need for other people in his life. He says there in Romans chapter one, verses 11 through 12, when writing to the church, he says, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Pause right there. If that's all that you read in that greeting to the Roman church, you would not be surprised. Paul is saying, here I am, Paul the apostle, church planner, senior leader, I can't wait to see you guys so that I can use my spiritual gift in your life. You would think, of course. Of course that's what Paul would do. But unpause, you might be surprised by how that verse ends. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith both yours and mine. Paul says, make no mistake. It's not only that you need what 
I have to offer. I need what you have to offer. It's a beautiful picture of the church that though we may have a diversity of experience and knowledge, we can all stand side by side and encourage one another. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 80 years or eight minutes, because you just accepted Jesus eight minutes ago. We can encourage one another within the church. Now, this is particularly important for those of you who've been Christians for some time. Because there's this idea that goes around in the church. The idea that spiritual maturity results in needing people less. This idea that I often hear communicated from people or exemplified by the way they live their lives. They've been Christians for many, many years and they just like, they don't hang out. They're not engaged. They don't like serve. They don't join a group. And it's because they're spiritual. They're like up on a mountain, you know, reading scripture, communing with the triune God. And you're like, hey, do you want to hang out? No, I'm just receiving from the Father. And you're like, okay. <laughs> what about us? Like, there's this idea that I'm so mature that I don't need your encouragement. I'm so, oh, I just get everything I need from the Father. Well, yeah, but it's like through the church. Like, no, no, no. But that's a mistake. Spiritual maturity does not result in needing people less. It results in loving people more. If you've really encountered God, if you're really growing, if you're really spiritually mature, you will engage more with people, not less with people. You will pursue them because anyone who is truly mature, you know that you need other people in your life. Can I get an amen? I need, the older I get, the more I realize how much I need the presence of the church. See, this is why I love these little greetings in the New Testament because they, they reveal people like Paul to have real relationships. And they're also in very ordinary circumstances. Where are they going to meet? Nicopolis, which comes from the word Nike. It literally means victory town. He's like, Titus, we're going to Nike town for the winter. <laughs> Why? Well, Paul tells us, because I decided. You're like, wait, what profound spiritual truth is here? What point are you trying to make, Pastor Tim? Here's my, here's my huge spiritual point. You ready? Sometimes you need a great place to hang out with great people. Show me the lie. <laughs> Paul literally is like, Titus, come to me. We're going to Nike Town. I want you to be there. It's a nice place to stay in the winter. Don't read into it too much. Paul's like, hey, it's winter, like this place. Now, Nicopolis was great. It was a, a coastal town that many people thought was very beautiful, very strategic to spend the winter there because sometimes you need a great place to hang with great people. Why did he do this? Because he decided. What were they gonna do? I don't know, play Monopoly, I don't know. He just says, Titus, come hang out with me. My fear is that many of us, we separate ordinary moments from our spiritual life. 
Okay, when I'm here on Sunday morning, I'm spiritual. Worship, receive, prayer. But then when you're booking your vacation, you're like, see you later, God. I'll come back from Hawaii in a few weeks. And yet sometimes it's in the most ordinary moments with people who know you that some of the most profound encouragement can take place. I can reflect back on many times in my life where almost unexpectedly, it could be like a trip where maybe the purpose was something completely different, and yet because I'm in the presence of just great people and we're hanging out, maybe doing a little tourism, I don't know, that I am ministered to, I'm encouraged. You're talking about family, you're talking about relationships, you're talking about the, the victories and the struggles that you have in the life, and maybe you pray for one another. It's just these ordinary moments can be full of spiritual life. And so Paul says, Titus, come to Nicopolis. Spend the winter with me there. It was a deliberate way to spend a season with other people. Friends, do not despise such opportunity. Do not think that it is unspiritual to just spend a day together, go for a hike, go for a run, whatever it is. Our God is the God not only of the extraordinary, but also the ordinary matters of life, particularly with other people. See, your presence matters because people matter. Paul needed Titus in his life. Titus needed Paul in his life. And though we are thankful and happy to use all the ways in which we can connect with one another digitally, nothing beats the presence of a friend in your life. The Apostle John wrote about this in his third letter. He says, I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink, for I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face to face. Why does your presence matter? Because people matter. But people did not only matter to Paul, they also mattered to the church in Crete. And so notice, Paul says, Titus, I want you to come to me, but what does the verse say? But wait until I send replacements. Now here's another lesson. Why did Paul send for Titus? Because he needed that encouraging relationship. But why did Titus need to wait for his replacement? Because the people in Crete, the church there, their relationships also mattered. See, here's a great lesson for us. If you are being called out of service in a particular place or to a particular people, you are also to be faithful. If God calls you out of that, you're to be faithful to replace yourself. This is both really important and so down to earth. Let me give you some examples. Service in the church. I'm thinking of this church or if you're visiting whatever church that you're a part of. Your faithful service, whether you, you serve in the church through a, a, a small group or it's in children's ministry or some kind of outreach program, your presence matters because the people that you're serving matters. And therefore, if God is calling you out of that to another task, another mission, that's great. But be faithful to find a replacement for yourself. Don't always just leave it to someone else. See, oftentimes I find over the years that maybe you're serving in a ministry, let's take coffee ministry, a glorious ministry to the saints. 
You're serving there for a while and you're like, you know what, my time's done. I'm gonna no longer serve. Okay, great. Go find someone else. Don't just leave it to the leader, who of course is a part of that. But go find someone else. Make a disciple. Like, do you understand how important coffee is to Christians? It's like the one biblically approved substance that we can consume. I'm not addicted. I'm just in a committed relationship, okay? It's totally different. Find a replacement for yourself. I think of our children's ministry. If, if you're called out of that season, no problem. And with your leaders, find a replacement. Why? Because those children matter. The teaching and the lesson and the, the aiding that you provide in those classrooms, it matters. So go be on the lookout. Like, who in my life could, could I help recruit to find as a replacement? Because my presence matters, their presence matters, and I want to give an opportunity for this person to serve. Paul says, Titus, I want you to come to me. It's going to be good. But wait for a replacement. Friends, part of being faithful in service doesn't mean that you always do the same exact thing in the church, but when you're called out of that season, you transition well. And part of that is finding a replacement. Now, different acts of service in the church and our presence, it will look a little bit different, and that's reflected in the variety of names here. Let's think about them for a moment. Artemis, we don't know anything about him. Moving on, Tychicus, we know he was a faithful servant and a dear brother. And then there's Zenos, the lawyer. Why? Because it's always good to have a lawyer with you, I would imagine. Now, Apollos, we do know about. And Apollos certainly knew the value of other people's presence in his life. In the book of Acts, chapter 18, we learn about Apollos, and we're told that he was intelligent, and we're told that he was eloquent and learned in the Old Testament scriptures. And so he spoke boldly about repentance in the synagogue, but he needed to be informed about the gospel. Who told him? A married couple named Priscilla and Aquila, which by the way is just, I mean, if you're married and if your names can rhyme, it's just ultimate power couple. Like, I'm Priscilla, I'm Aquila. Like, that's how I imagine them introducing themselves, I don't know. He, they didn't really know this married couple, but this married couple, they're just hanging out, they see Apollos, he's teaching, and Priscilla's like, Aquila, like, I don't know if he really knows about Jesus. Aquila's like, oh, Priscilla, you're right. Like, we should go tell him, as a couple, let's go be present in his life. So they went over to Apollos, they informed him about Jesus, and Apollos, as a result, became a great teacher. They had a great impact on his life. So we just ran through that list. Some of these people we know, some of them we don't know, but they were all important. Our temptation is to think that if we don't have a prominent title, that we don't have an important role. Nothing could be farther from the truth. Just because you don't have a prominent title within the church does not mean that you are unimportant in the church. In fact, when we only value prominence, we diminish our usefulness. See, knowing very little about someone does not in any way diminish their importance. Their worth is not dependent on how often they are mentioned. 
And the same is true as you are present in the lives of others in this church, whether your name gets mentioned or you get the pat on the back, what matters is that Christ sees it. And I was reminded of my wife during a very busy season of ministry when we were living in LA and the church was growing. There was all this ministry activity. There were people coming to Christ. There was all kinds of things happening in the life of the church. But my wife was very busy at home. Our daughters were very young and it was full on. Any of you have little ones, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And there was this particular season like all our kids are sick because when one get sick, your home's like a germ incubator and like everyone gets sick, it's just chaos. And, but I was out doing ministry, that just grows some of you out because you don't have kids, but that's what it's like. So I'm out, it's all busy, all this stuff's happening in the church and she felt so discouraged. She's like, all the stuff that's important is happening out there and I'm just here. She felt so discouraged. Kids are sick, snot everywhere. And in this moment, as my wife wiped the nose of my two-year-old daughter, she said, the Holy Spirit said to her, I see that. I see that. You are caring for this child. And that matters to me. Whether or not you are widely known makes little difference. It's whether what you're doing you're doing it for the Lord. Your presence matters because people matter. That means in the church, there are no unimportant people. None of us in this room can say to one another, I don't need you. Not that you would. That'd be weird. During greeting time, hi, I don't need you. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> Who else is going to serve you coffee? <laughs> Listen to what Paul says about the church being, using the metaphor of a body in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Friend, your presence matters in this church and in this time because people matter. And once you begin to realize this, you become a great resource to others. And that leads to the second and more brief point, that service matters. Why does your presence matter in the church and in the world? First, because people matter. But secondly, because service matters. Followers of Jesus show themselves to be his people by the way that they practice their faith, by the way that they serve. It's how we express our love. And so Paul gives us concrete examples of service, even in his conclusion. At the end of verse 13, when he says, send these guys to me, he says, and see that they have everything that they need, verse 13. And then he uses that as a teachable moment. Verse 14, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Think of how down to earth this is. Paul is picturing in his mind 
practical provision for these travelers. It could be money, supplies, food, and other provisions. He's saying, hey, these, these people that you're sending, make sure that they have what they need as you send them on their way. And I'm gonna use this as a teachable moment to drive home what I've been teaching throughout this whole letter, that you would learn to devote yourself to doing what is good. If you've been with us the last few months, you've noticed that the phrase good works has repeated over and over again throughout these three short chapters. But here, he uses the word learn. Learn to devote yourself to good works. And I think that is important because the word in the original language means learn through practice. The idea is that when you join the church, you shouldn't be like, oh, I'll serve one day in three years when, I, when, I like, when I'm ready. Like, no, 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 learn on the job. <laughs> Just get involved and you will learn as you go when it comes to good works. And this applies to everything, your, your talent as well as your, your treasure, even the way we think about our money. We budget in order to bless. This is true personally. It's also true corporately. And notice that this particular need is not necessarily brought to Titus himself, but to the whole church. Titus is calling the church together to do works. It's not just like the staff or the leadership that does all the good works. The staff and the leadership equips the church to do good works. This is a call for generous homes and generous hands to be at work. And in a culture where we are all determined to get, the church must be determined to give. And what's Paul's underlying concern? He's saying, hey, you guys should devote yourself to, to good works. And when you come to church, you'll hear all kinds of opportunities about giving financially or serving on a team or getting involved in the lives of others. And you might be a little skeptical thinking, well, what's the underlying motive between all this? Well, Paul tells us, in order, at the end of verse 14, to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive, or as the word literally means, unfruitful lives. See, Paul's underlying concern is not only that the need gets met, but that you yourself are living a fruitful life. That's the underlying concern. Otherwise, we become hypocrites like the false teachers that he addressed earlier in the letter. These were people who preached, but they didn't practice. They said, follow what I say, but not what I do. And so Paul, if you remember, he gave a sober warning in the correction of false teachers. He said in chapter one, verse 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him in their works. They are detestable disobedient and unfit for what? Any good work. Do you see Paul's concern here? He says, I want you to, to get involved. I want you to serve because I don't want you to live an unfruitful, unproductive life. The word unfruitful is important. The ESV renders it that way. He's using a metaphor, of course, of fruit growing from a tree as a way of expressing his deep concern for your life and for mine. Here's why. The evidence of an open heart towards God 
is an open heart towards other people. But the opposite is also true. A closed heart towards people might be an evidence of a closed heart toward God. If you really are receiving from God, then you will be giving in your posture toward other people. If indeed you have believed in Jesus Christ, a new root has been planted within you which ought to produce fruit through you. This is what we should be encouraging in our community. It's an opportunity for you to be fruitful. And it's not only for the good of others, it is a sign that you are being changed. You are blessed as you give. Paul talks about this all the time. In his letter that we studied to the Philippian church last year, he talks about practically sending a financial gift, but notice how he references it. In Philippians 4, 16 and 17, he says, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. In asking the church to devote themselves to good works and to meet needs, Paul ultimately doesn't want something from them. He wants something for them. And the same is true today in our church The call to get engaged and to get involved and to to join a, a community group is not only for the sake of others or serving in an area like with our young people or our kids or outreach or whatever it might be. It's not only about meeting those needs, which it is, it's also about you living a fruitful life. We want fruit for your account. We want you to grow. We want you to be productive. Are you? engaged in practical service towards the church. It's an evidence of your faith. Some of you are a little burned out on service, I understand. But we need to constantly be prayerful about ways to engage in healthy service because it's the natural outflow of our faith. If we're truly trusting in Christ and we've seen what he's done for us through sacrificial service, it must result in sacrificial service to others. And indeed, this is where Paul lands. What fuels your fruitfulness and productivity in the Christian life is what you first receive from God. And that's where he ends. Why does your presence matter? Why is it important that you show up in the life of the community and in the world? Because people matter. Service matters. And lastly, because grace matters. Because what God has done for you in Jesus Christ matters. And so I love this final greeting. For not only does Paul get practical at the end, but he uses it as an opportunity to emphasize the main point of his whole letter when he gives his final greeting, and it is about grace. Everything that we're called to do is based on grace. It's what he's been talking about the whole letter. In chapter one, we're told grace flows from our triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. 
In chapter two, we learned that grace has been made available to us through the appearing of Jesus Christ who lived for us, died on a cross for us, rose again for us. We're told also in chapter two that grace is what teaches us and changes us. We're told in chapter three that grace is the very reason we can be saved. It is all about grace. It's all about this unmerited favor and love of God that motivates all that we do in the church and within the world. And this is massive, friends, because unlike the rest of culture, which tells you to do good in order to receive praise in return, the followers of Jesus are to do good because of what they've already been given. See, doing good works is not a way of earning God's favor. It is a way of showing God's favor. You don't get involved and active in, in the mission towards the world or in the life of the church as a way of like earning gold stars with God. It's in response to the grace that he has already given to you. Nor are you like some kind of philanthropist where you're just like going around doing good because. See, a philanthropist gives away what they think belongs to themselves. But a Christian gives away what they know belongs to God. See, a philanthropist says like, hey, I'm doing good. Look, look at what I'm doing. And when people ask, you're like, well, it's just my virtue on full display for you to see. See, that's not the attitude we should have in the church. When, when someone honors you and encourages you in the church for your sacrificial service, what you don't say is, well, it's just who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am just my virtue flowing forth. That's a philanthropist. They give away what they think belongs to them, but a Christian gives away what they know belongs to God. And so when you are encouraged for your service, you're like, hey, at the end of the day, like the parable that Jesus told in the gospel, I'm an unprofitable servant because I simply was doing what my master told me to do. And I'm doing it because of what my master has done for me. It's all based on grace. The goal of sacrificial service in the life of Christians is meant to point to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that is why this whole letter, it's about faith and practice. Paul has been telling us that our doctrine and our duty are married and they must never be divorced. What you believe shapes how you behave. That's how it works in the Christian life. So people matter. They are to be objects of our love. Service matters because it's an expression of our love. But grace matters because that's what fuels our love. And so far from a mere formality, Paul's final words are a genuine prayer and a desire for the church in Crete and for us all. And so he says in verse 15, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. It's a statement of fact, and it is a pronouncement of blessing. It's essentially a prayer. He's saying, grace be with you all. Now, why would Paul say that? Because given all the challenges that faced Titus, the cultural storm that he was in, in that Roman culture, the moral and social chaos, the drama in the church. What does Titus need for it? Grace. What do you need to follow Jesus in 2023? You need grace. 
What do you need to face the cultural storm that we are in? You need grace. What do you need to face the moral and social chaos happening around us? You need grace. What do you need to face all the drama within the church? Because there is. You need grace. And here's why that's key. There are many times that Christians, under the pressure of the culture or the pressure of drama, they become ungracious. Oftentimes, unkind and unloving. They've allowed the pressure to push them away from grace. I've known this at times in my own life. I've seen it within the church. When the times are are tough, like they have been in the culture right now, sadly, the effect that that has had on some Christians is they become graceless. And it comes out in the way they talk and the way they act. But friends, the cultural pressure should not drive you away from grace, but deeper into grace. The longer you follow Jesus, the harder things get, the more you should say, I need the grace of God. I need the grace of God. I need to be reminded of what Christ has done for me. I need to be reminded of the great unending love that God has for me, because that's what this moment needs. They need to see Love that comes from the grace of God. And it's not just for specific individuals. It is for, as he says, you all. I want you all to experience all of God's gracious and loving presence. And it is in praying that grace be with us that we're really praying that Christ would be with us. For in the person of Christ, the grace of God is revealed. Here's my encouragement to you. As we studied this book together, and we've been calling the series a faithful presence, here's what you need to, to know. Here's what I want you to take away from this. You can be a faithful presence in the lives of others if Christ is present in you. And if Christ is present in you, then you can be faithfully present in such a time as this. That's how it works. If you're not yet a Christian, believe upon Jesus today. Know that your sin is forgiven. Know that you have the hope of eternity with God and not an eternity of hell separated from him. Put your faith and trust in him. And from that moment you believe, Christ makes his home in you. And church, for you is... A Christian, a follower of Jesus, the way in which you live in this culture should be an overflow of the great salvation we have received from our great God and Savior. Paul stated at the very beginning that his main purpose at the beginning of this letter was that what was crooked needed to be made straight and that what was left unfinished needed to be completed. And that's where we land. Do you realize that there are things in your life that need to be made straight? And do you realize that there are things in your life that are left unfinished that God wants to complete? So for some of you, the appropriate response would be a recommitment. For those of you who have drifted, maybe slowly, subtly, away from the Lord and away from other believers, you've kind of Begin to isolate yourself. 
Maybe this is a moment, friend, of recommitment. Where do you need to recommit to people? Because your presence matters. Maybe you need to recommit to service because your presence matters. It's what Christ has called you to do. May today be a moment of recommitment, if that's you. But maybe you've been in it, and you've been at it, and you're engaged, but you just feel tired. Maybe you've lost a little bit of that like love and passion, and you're kind of like, oh yeah, I show up, I serve, I'm there. Maybe it's not so much a recommitment, but a renewal that you need. Where do you need to be and have renewed strength for people? Where do you need renewed strength for service? Well, it comes from the grace of God. It's available. Let's ask. Let's rely upon him. It's all gonna come from relying upon grace. And that's what we have the opportunity to do right now. So let's pray together that we would. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be faithfully present in this world because Christ is faithfully present in us through faith. I pray for anyone here who has not yet simply prayed and asked Jesus to be their savior. I pray that they would not waste another moment until they do. That they would simply say, Jesus, save me. I believe you died on a cross for my sins. I believe you rose again on the third day to give me new life. Save me. Father, for the church, I pray for those who need to recommit. That they would do so not as if they would earn something from you. But it's rather a way of relying upon you what you've already given in grace. I pray in light of that and on the foundation of that that they would recommit to people and to service. God, I pray for those who just need renewal. They need renewed strength in their presence in the lives of other people. They need renewed strength for service. God, would you answer their prayers today? and encourage them that we might all be a faithful presence. Holy Spirit, will you speak to every heart exactly what it is that we need to hear? And Holy Spirit, would you lead us as we need to be led? In Jesus' name, amen.